Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society, where it's dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 19th of November 2018 and this is episode 90. On today's programme, I talk to Portuguese Army Officer Miguel Ferreira about the role and experience of the Portuguese Expeditionary Force during the First World War. I spoke to Miguel from his home in Portugal. Miguel, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Could you start by telling us about yourself and how you became interested in the role of the Portuguese Expeditionary Forces during the Great War? Hi, Tom. It's a great honour to be with you here at the Western Front Association. Uh, I'm an active cavalry officer in the Portuguese Army, currently posted at the Land Forces Command. Uh, As a professional soldier, I was always very interested in military history, not only as a way to understand the the world we live in, but also as a way to better understand the core of my profession. I have had a particular interest on understanding how foreign commanders invited to command the Portuguese Army managed to do it while preparing for war against an invasion from land. The Prussian Earl von Lippe during the mid-18th century and the British General Besford during the Peninsular War are the two most well-known cases. The Peninsular War used to be the subject in which I used to invest more time researching. But a few years ago, when I was lecturing tactics at the Portuguese Military Academy, I had the opportunity to join a research group of the academy, led by Professor Antonio Tello, which had the purpose to have a different and reflexive gaze into the Portuguese participation during World War I. We went to the British, German, French military archives looking for primary sources that could allow us to fulfill our goal. It was a very, inter- it was a very interesting and challenging project. So at that time, I had a first contact with the reports done by the British mission with the Portuguese Corps. And I must confess that I was completely disappointed, even depressed, with what I read. In general terms, the British officers were very critical to the leadership and tactical performance of their Portuguese counterparts. The situation was, the situation was even stranger. The relationship between the two chains of command was awful. So on a first stage, my interest on World War I came to this. I wanted to understand why the performance of the Portuguese officer corps was so heavily criticized by their closest ally. In order to understand this, I had to search for a wider perspective, not only in time, but also in other dimensions, such as social and political. So tell me, what does your research cover and what sort of broad areas and, and, and time period are you looking at? The subject became so interesting that challenging and challenging that I decided to widen it up and understand what happened to the army since the last years of the constitutional monarchy up to the military coup in 1926, which created the conditions for a military dictatorship. When I, when I say what happened in the army, I'm pointing out to its core, not in terms of weapons or tactics, but to its culture and identity, something that is, it is very difficult to quantify or describe, but it is at the heart of any army. So this is the question that I'm currently researching on my PhD thesis. 
So let's go to 1914 in Portugal. What is the political situation? Can you give us a bit of background on, on Portugal and its situation? Because I understand it had a change of government before 1914. Yeah, the political situation in Portugal in 1914 was a consequence of a decade of trouble. We need to have a wider perspective of this timeline of trouble that may start as back as 1890 with the British ultimatum which forced the retreat of Portuguese military forces from areas in Africa, claimed by, claimed by Portugal on the basis of historical discovery and recent exploration, but which Great Britain claimed on the basis of effect occupation. There are two major shaping events before the outbreak of the Great War. The regicide in 1908, when King Carlos and Crown Prince were murdered, and the Republican Revolution that took place two years later in 1910, establishing a new regime with a new flag, a new hymn, symbols very dear to the military, and of course, a new political organization. The Republic regime wanted to set up a new entire army, no more a permanent army. The new army reform laws established a militia army based on the Swiss system with a new approach to recruitment and training which were tested in 1912 and 1913. Meanwhile, the army had to fight against some of its own units and factions that rebelled against the new regime. So when the war outbroke in 1914, the army was still trying to find its way to normality under the new regime, even though two expeditions were sent to Angola and Mozambique. And these expeditions were definitely a war of necessity. The expedition to Angola even fought against the German Southwest Africa forces in December 1914. So on the eve of deploying to Flanders in 1916, the Republican militia-type army was still to be born. There was a certain continuity on values, professional, professional ethics, although with a new political framework. A major breakdown on regulations, education and organization was done. And an entire new approach about training and exercise were still ongoing. The French and the Swiss armies were the sources for the new set of values and the way of doing business for the new Republican army. For example, regarding discipline, the book La Discipline Moderne, written by the French Captain Paul Simon and André Gavet, Art de Commandé, books were deliberately coated on new regulations. One very important issue was that the army was still undermined by underground paramilitary movements led by corporals and sergeants that were linked to the Republican cause. At the same time, senior officers continued to be involved in politics within parties or as deputies to the National Assembly. This will be clearly understood and talked about by the British officers along the chain of command once they meet their Portuguese counterparts in the Portuguese Expeditionary Force. So we come to 1916 when Portugal declares war. Why did it declare war in favour of Britain and France rather than the central powers? And what did it want to achieve from its involvement in the war? The declaration of war took place on the 9th March 1916. And actually, it was Germany that declared war on Portugal and not the other way around. It did it after Portugal had seized German ships anchored in its ports on behalf of its alliance with Great Britain. Actually, the Portuguese government, since the very beginning of the war in 1914, had been eagerly but unsuccessfully committed to convince 
Great Britain to, inv to invite Portugal to fight, to fight side by side on the Western Front. In 1916, with the German declaration of war, the Portuguese government was able to carry out its political ambition of sending an expeditionary force to fight on the Western Front. This decision was definitely a war of choice, with, which completely divided the society and the army officer corps. The government wanted, at all costs, prove the maturity and reliability of the young Republican regime. Fighting side by side as equals with, the, with its oldest ally on the most important front of the war was the political end state. So roughly 50,000 men were sent to the Western Front to the Flanders sector. The big issue was that the military capacity of the Republican regime did not match with, its, with this political ambition. The army knew it, and Portuguese people did not understand the ambition beyond the defense of the colonies. So how big was the Portuguese expeditionary force was sent in 1916 to Flanders? The Portuguese expeditionary force was a two-division strong unit that the Portuguese government convinced the British to let it to become a core-level unit, although with no supporting elements nor a third division. So this only lasted from November 1917 till March 1918. Once the British ceased to support the deployment of Portuguese troops from Portugal to France from November 1917 onwards, the Portuguese government was unable to keep fresh troops arriving on the front. So the Portuguese expeditionary force was downsized to a division level unit using the manpower to the, of the second division for replacements. So the Portuguese arrive on the Western Front. How did the British regard them um, on their arrival? It is interesting to read about, for example, the perception of, of General Haig had about the Portuguese officers, what, what the Portuguese officers thought about the British at the very beginning. In a letter written in May 1917, General Haig said the Portuguese regarded the British army as composed mainly of amateurs from whom they had nothing to learn. And most likely, Haig was not far from the truth. From the Portuguese side, there was a kind of anglophobia with the Portuguese officers at different levels complaining about the way the British officers gave, order, gave orders and interacted with them. This never changed throughout the entire time the Portuguese expeditionary force spent on the front. So it may be considered that there was a cultural clash between the British and the Portuguese officers' corps. In general terms, and having in mind some exceptions to the rule, both officers' corps never got on well. So what was the war-fighting experience of Portuguese soldiers when they arrived on the Western Front? I.e., What did they do before they, they were deployed to France and Belgium? The last time the Portuguese army had fought a conventional war, which means fighting a peer enemy, was 100 years ago during the, during the Peninsular War, when being part of the Anglo-Portuguese force. And it fought against Napoleon, Napoleonic troops from 1810 till 1814 and up to the south of France. In the Portuguese expeditionary force, the officers above the rank of captain that commanded companies, battalions and brigades had studied conventional wars, mainly the Franco-Prussian War, when they were cadets at the army school. But some of them had gained combat experience as officers in Africa. Actually, the self-image of the successful warrior officer was on horseback on an African landscape. 
Fighting in Africa meant fighting native tribes outgunned, although overmanned. It is worth mentioning that Portugal, as happened to all colon colonial powers, undertook several offensive and policing operations in, in its colonies, India included. So from, from mid-1870 till 1918, those operations took place on a, on a yearly basis, involving the colonial armies, the colonial army, but also demanding expeditions from Portugal, and few of them ending up in traumatizing debacles. What was the experience of the Portuguese expeditionary force on the Western Front during 1916, 17 and 18? And what battles did they participate in? Yeah, the, the first Portuguese troops arrived in France in February 1917. One month earlier, the first instructors had, had arrived and it was created the British mission with the Portuguese Corps. The first division took over its sector in July under Lieutenant General Haking 11th Corps and the Portuguese expeditionary force as a corps, took over its sector on the front in November under General Horn, 1st Army. As, as I pointed out earlier, due to a lack of replacements, the Portuguese corps had to be downsized to a division-level unit. So during this period, the British proposed to emulate the system used in Wellington's Anglo-Portuguese army during the Peninsular War, when the Portuguese, when the Portuguese unit's chain of command included British officers as commanding officers at different levels. This, of course, was promptly refused by the Portuguese Minister of Defense. Knowing that they would not be relieved and under a very unfair system that only allowed officers to go on leave, the morale of the troops went completely down to a point that made the British High Command to decide to withdraw the Portuguese division, a task that was to be undertaken during the 9th from 8th to 9th April. So on the 9th of April, the Germans launched its, its Georgette operation, clearly identifying the sector, the Portuguese sector, as the weakest point on the front. So outmanned, outgunned and demoralized, the Portuguese troops collapsed. This outcome was expectable, even though there were some cases of heroism and self-sacrifice. From this moment onwards, no Portuguese troops had combat tasks. Only during the last days of the war, some Portuguese battalions were allowed to participate in combat operations. So, apart from tactical offensive riding operations undertaken late 1917 and early 1918, the only major battle in which the Portuguese participated was under the German Georgette operation that would be known to the Portuguese as the Battle of the Lys. Being Lys, the name of the most important river, of that portion of the front. So how many casualties did the Portuguese suffer in their deployment on the Western Front? At the end of the war and regarding casualties, the figures are around 2,000 dead, 200 missing, and 7,000 unfit, unfit for service, and roughly 7,000 prisoners of war of the Germans. There are very small figures when compared with the other Central European countries. But even though big enough to make an, an impact on the Portuguese society at that time. So how does Portugal remember its role in the Great War? The years that followed that followed were full of political violence, violence and military coups, grounded on an economic and financial crisis. 9th April, the, bat, the day of the least battle, and not the Armistice Day, became the key date in Portugal for the commemoration of the Great War. 
This date was the only one that generated sufficient consensus among the different factions within politicians and soldiers. Even today, the 9th April is the day to evoke the Great War and veterans from all wars undertaken by the Portuguese, mainly in Africa. 2018, this year, may be the only year in which the military ceremony related to the armistice will be even bigger than the National Day ceremony that usually takes place on every 10th of June. And finally, Miguel, where can people find out more about your research? Usually I, res I share my research and academic works on academy academia.edu website. So just look for Miguel Ferrer and you will find me <laughs> and, and we will find my, my work. Miguel, thank you very much for your time. Okay, Tom. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time. <laughs>